Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Great to have you here this morning on the Smart Investing Show. Uh, we've got to talk about, uh, well, the, I hate to bring it up, but uh, we are the proud investing partners of the Padres. Come on, guys. Let's get the games together. Let's win some games here. Um, but uh, I am the president of Wilsey Asset Management and uh, glad to have you here with the show for the next uh, hour talking about uh, your money, investing, and the economy. All these important things to make your net worth grow. And with me is Chase. Chase. Good to be here as always. And uh, as always, if you want to join the show, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. And again, you want to call in, you got a company you're looking at buying, selling, maybe holding. We'll break down all those fundamentals and, and give you our opinion on uh, a buy, sell, or hold essentially on, on that particular stock. And we got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to talk about inflation, the PCE, which is personal consumption expenditures, uh, recession. I don't think so. One of the many reasons why we're going to give that to you. Also, building a portfolio for total returns. People don't know how to do that. They might pick one hot stock, but they don't understand how to build a portfolio for total returns. And also, too, a lot of short selling in the market, what that means to you. So let's go ahead and get started with Jason Chase. No, I was oh. fixing my mic. Oh, fixing. Oh, I, I saw your hand move. Like, <laughs> oh, I thought you want to talk. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about inflation. Uh, the Fed's uh, preferred gauge for inflation is the personal consumption expenditures, also known as the PCE price index, showed uh, inflation is continuing to cool. The headline number came in at 3.8%, which is below last month's reading of 4.3%, and well below last May's reading of 6.5%. Now, this was the lowest rate we've seen since April 2021. Food prices have remained high and climbed 5.8% compared to last year, but energy prices have fallen dramatically as they declined 13.4% over the same time period. Now, this is one thing that the Fed may point to because the consumers are still spending in the service economy, and the service sector actually saw prices increase 5.3%, but the prices for goods were only up 1.1%, as we know spending on goods has slowed down quite a bit as well. But core PCE, which excludes food and energy, may have disappointed some people as well as it remained at 4.6%. So far this year, core PCE has registered a reading of either 4.6 or 4.7% in every single report. So haven't seen that same type of fall off that we've seen in the headline number. Now, I continue to believe that both these rates will head lower as we exit the year. And although the Fed has indicated two more rate increases, I believe they should continue to hold rates steady as inflation looks to be pulling back due to the actions that were previously implemented. And also, too, just the nature of comparing entire prices in the previous year. I just I don't see how it's going to reaccelerate, especially with interest rates where they are now. I, I think we'll continue to see it to fall. I, I, I believe so as well. And I, I, I brought up the food prices at 5.8%. I, I know we did see that the price of eggs are coming down. Uh, the cost of transportation is coming down. I think we will see food prices continue to fall. The hard part is a service uh, industry because that is labor sensitive, which we've got this labor shortage. And, and that is causing problems that 
people, well, hey, if you don't want to pay me more, I'll go over here and get more. So I, I talked to the, the handyman working on, on our house, and he said, uh, yeah, he goes, I had a guy supposed to show up, but somebody else gave him more, so he went there instead of here. You know, So it, it, it is labor is a thing that is causing problems. Um, I think we just need to get more people back to work. Uh, we do, and again, the immigration coming in, I've said I want legal immigration because that would help a lot. We are just not having enough people being born to fill the, the strong economy that we have. And we do have a strong economy. We gotta get those labor prices down or stable. Stable, yeah. that's what we do, stable. Stable, or I mean, you just see them increase at a, a reasonable rate. I mean, because before we, remember in like 2018, 2019, we were having wages grow, hourly earnings, they were going at like three, 4%. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it still can be handled in the economy as long as you have that competition out there for other jobs. But the other thing that I want to bring up, and I've talked about this before, but I'm gonna say it again. The main reason I think the Fed missed increasing interest rates early on was because they weren't looking at the headline inflation. Yeah. They were looking at the core inflation saying, well, yeah, energy prices are going up, but core inflation, well, it's not going up that much. Well, now you kind of have the opposite effect. If they're going to hike interest rates because now they're still looking at core inflation and not looking at headline inflation, I think that's a huge mistake because we know energy prices are going to drive costs higher. You talk about the handyman. How did he get to your house? Yeah, drive that truck. Drive that truck. <laughs> well, guess what? Gas prices. Yeah, all of a sudden you got to pay more for gas. Hey, I got to increase my prices to be able to get to that house. And I think that's a big thing the Fed is missing. And don't get me wrong, I, I think you still have to look at the core right. inflation, but I think it's a huge mistake to ignore the headli headline inflation rate as well. And I watched. I didn't watch the whole thing because it got uh, down uh, down on me. But the. Uh, Federal Reserve Chairman, I guess they're called, of all different countries. I, I think they have different titles, but uh, I think it was in Portugal. And, oh, my gosh, listen to these guys. Like, you just want to go shoot yourself. I mean, things are so bad. It's like, and, and, and they're really not. And, and I think what uh, – and I do believe that the United States is in the best position of all those countries. We have, have done a good job. We do have a growing economy. That's not the same in Europe and some other places, so I'm happy to say that. But I still think that the, the Federal Reserve is so afraid because they were late to the party, they don't want to ease up and then say, oh, see, you screwed it up again. Uh, so I think they're going to stay firm on that. But I'm just hoping that uh, we see when they meet in, what, July is the next meeting, that I think we get one more inflation report, don't we? We, we should get CPI before then. Before then. So maybe they'll say, eh, maybe we can skip one more time. And I believe CPI, you'll see a three-handle three, three handle on that report. Yep. So, I mean, that it's just... 3% inflation, I know it's not at their target of two, right? but again, you got to weigh the pros and cons of, you know, is it is it worth it to destroy the economy to get to that 2% inflation? And don't get me wrong, I, I think, uh, again, inflation of like 10%, yeah, we don't want that. Maybe you no. do need to slow down the economy. But 3.8%, I mean, come on, like, just let that take some time, because I think just by holding things steady, I think you could see inflation around 2%, maybe middle of next year, end of next year, just again, because of lapping prices and interest rates are in a much more difficult place than they were at 0%. Yeah. And, and, and I have seen from some of the Federal Reserve governors that they're saying, yeah, we, we think that the higher interest rates are helping out now. So there are some that want to wait and see. And I remember I've not heard this term lately, and I, maybe I'm just missing it, data dependent. Let the data determine what to do. Don't just stick on a plan just because you want rates to go up dramatically to, to beat inflation so bad because you could hurt the economy. I, I do believe, and the, the next segment we have coming up, we'll, we'll talk about that, but I do believe that we can have a nice growing economy 
and inflation will come down. And if we can get it down to 2% by December of 2024, hey, that's great. I'll say I'd be careful of the data dependent word because if they're saying I'm data dependent and inflation is 3.8%, not 2%, then that justifies them to maybe increase interest rates. So you got to look at all, all the data. Exactly. All the data. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think from a investing standpoint, I think there's a lot of noise out there with the, the interest rates and the Fed. And I still think this a lot of the chaos is behind us. Maybe they, they do increase two more times. I think that would be the wrong thing to do. But we know that once things kind of stabilize, and they should stabilize here, if not now, at least maybe in two, three months, there's no more real Fed talk. Maybe the Fed right. just likes being talked about. Because yeah, for years be. they weren't really talked about because the interest rates were at zero. Yeah, and no one cared about them. <laughs> right. and, 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 you know, thinking about it too, I don't want to see a quarter point increase, but as a quarter point when you're at what five, five and a half, is it really gonna make much difference uh, to the consumer? I don't think the consumer. Oh, I don't think they'll even know. You know, I don't so, think so either. Yeah. yeah. So, well, let's move on and talk about uh, the recession because people say, "Oh, we're gonna have a recession." I, I don't think so. We, we've given many reasons why, and here, here's one that you may not know about. Uh, you may be waiting for the other shoe to drop, and then bam, we have a recession. But I, I constantly see data that con- contradicts any chance of a major recession. Ten years ago, the annual manufacturing, construction, and outlays was roughly fifty billion dollars. Now, now that is a lot of money. Would you have guessed for 2023 that's going to be nearly four times that number at $200 billion? And then also, too, you, you look in 2020, foreign direct investment in the U.S. was $150 billion, And in 2023, is more than double that amount, coming in at $350 billion. I mean, you look around the country and you'll see major construction on airports, highways, electric vehicles, battery charging stations, also to the semiconductor plants. Uh, I was in Arizona a couple of weeks ago, and I drove by Taiwan Semiconductors. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, the new plant? Their new plant. Near, right. Oh, my. That thing is, wow. That thing is, <laughs> it's like a city. And, and I mean, that that's your foreign investment there. I mean, it, I was blown away with how big that is. And and, and that was, was it, how many billions of dollars was that to, to build? I want to say it was like 20 billion. I, 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 I was going to say 20 billion. It seems like a lot of, but I think it is right. I think it's 20 billion dollars. And, and it's not just the construction of building that, but all the machinery, the the, 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 the stuff that goes in there, I mean, it's just a $20 billion. That's a, that's a lot. And that's just one. I think they're building one, one in Ohio. I think that's mm-hmm. Intel doing that. Uh, here in San Diego, I mean, have you been to the airport lately? Well, you can't even find it, be, find it because there's so much construction going on. They're building these massive things. Buildings are going up. I mean, around our office, there's a building. I mean, it is just major construction, not just here in San Diego, but across the country. So how in the world can we have a recession with money coming in for construction and foreign investment? Not even our money, but what, was, what did you say it was? $350 billion coming yeah. in for foreign money? That's why I pulled up Taiwan. Uh, that, that's the exact example of that, that foreign investment that is creating U.S. jobs. Right. I, I mean, that's the thing you look at. And I was talking to a friend that lives out there, and he's saying, yeah, his understanding, and this is from a friend, so I haven't done the research on Not it. Not from a friend from a friend, but No, a friend. it's from a friend. Okay. He said <laughs> that they're, they're kind of you know looking at bringing people there to actually live there and then work in that. Because you built a $20 billion plant, that's a lot of jobs that, that you're going to need help with. You know, the other thing, too, that that does, and by the way, I think I said million. It is billion. So if I slip up and say million, it is $350 billion with a B. 
Um, but when you bring that in, it's not just that construction. Now you've got people going out to dinner, mm -hmm. going to the movies, going to games, going to the mall, going shopping. It just stimulates that economy. Uh, that's why we have a very strong economy. I do not see any way possible we have a recession unless there's some major, what do you call it, black swan that yeah, comes in. Black swan I, I, you just can't think think about it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I see no chance at all of recession and people say, oh, we're going to have a recession. And you know why people say that? Because things are so good and they, they listen to the regular media, which wants to be negative because that's why you watch it. We're always, we're looking at the numbers and, I, and there's times where we're, we're negative, but right now this is not the time. The economy is very strong and there's many reasons why it will stay strong as well. And I, I will say as well, the thing I, I look at is you saw GDP this last week, it got revised up from 1.3% oh, yeah. to 2% in Q1. And I mean, that, that's a huge sign. And the reason it was so strong was consumer spending. And consumers are saying they're not happy, but the funny thing is like, they're still spending, so I'm not happy. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm still going out to dinner. Right, and, and it's still keeping that economy going. And and I said this last week, but the thing that I look at is we could again have a technical recession. But the reason I'm I'm becoming less and less worried about it is because the technical recession could be because inflation is so high that growth is not keeping up with inflation. So by nature, GDP would decline because it looks at the real GDP, which includes inflation. But as I said, inflation's coming down. Yeah. So with that, now that's a harder comparison or an easier comparison, I guess I should say. So now we might not even see that technical recession. I, I think it's becoming less and less likely, and that soft landing is becoming more and more likely. More and, more, more and more likely there. So, um, you know, so with all this information, the reason why we tell you because people say, oh, I'm going to go buy TIPA. I'm going to go to cash because I'm afraid of recession. That is not what we want to do. And actually, we want to talk about building a portfolio for total returns, which you should be investing now. And we're going to ask, how is it that a 20% return can be better than a 100% return? It is based on the concentration of the portfolio. Many times I hear people discuss how happy they are with the winners in their portfolio, but come to find out they might only make up 1% of the entire portfolio. Now, when we buy companies for our clients at Wilsey Asset Management, we start with a 6% investment as we have spent hours researching the company and feel very comfortable with it. Now, a 20% return with a 6% allocation would produce a 1.2% overall benefit to your portfolio versus a 100% return with a 1% allocation would produce an overall benefit of 1%. Now, I would rather understand the investments in my portfolio than take a chance on several businesses I know very little about or that just have so much hype and everybody else is doing it. If you don't feel comfortable, you're not going to take a 6% allocation. You're going to say, ooh, I'll buy a few shares. And it really doesn't ultimately impact your portfolio that much. And, and, and people just, they, they get so excited about those winners. And again, I, I think we're being generous with a 1% I think so too. <laughs> of the portfolio. Uh, but... but that's why people don't do well investing. And I, I haven't seen the number lately, but I know the average investor that we've looked at over the past years, the, and this is on their portfolio, is about 2.3%. It was very low because they don't understand you've got to have a portfolio that is concentrated. And, and we have a formula that we actually show people that 15 to 18 investments in your portfolio is the right number. If you want that formula, send us an email. We'll send you that formula. You can work it out if you want to. Uh, and, and it is so funny because I've been in this industry now for over 40 years. I have never met another financial advisor, and I go to many different events and so forth, that even knows about the formula. 
because most people just say, well, yeah, just buy these mutual funds and we'll do an asset allocation. You'll be fine. No, that is not how you make money investing. You have to understand the principles of investing and have a concentrated portfolio, but you've got to know those investments very well as you're investing into. Do you know why I think a lot of them don't do it or a lot of investors don't do it as well? I, th I think I know, but you go ahead. It, it's because it's more complicated and it's yeah. harder for the investor to actually see what's going on. And I'll tell you, when we have a 6% allocation, I mean, we put about 15 to 18 companies in the portfolio, you see those companies. We're not perfect. Right. Things go down in the short term. Sometimes we have companies that are down 20 to 30%. It's going to happen. Well, clients don't like to see that very often, but we're able to talk about it and explain why we still feel comfortable in that business. Now, you throw in, let's say, 500, 600 different stocks in there, all these different ETFs, all these different investments you're not really going to notice those losers. That much. Right. Sure. So it, you, you kind of confuse people and that's the way you get through it. Where with us, we say, no, we know this is the right way to invest. We'd rather educate our clients and talk to them about, yeah, the, the company's down right now, but X, Y, and Z is why we're still holding that business. And we still believe that that's still the right company to hold. And just because it goes down in the next six months, doesn't mean it can't go up over the right. next two to three years. Right. And, and people don't realize that. And, and, and and a lot of advisors in the, the industry hate me because I kind of knock the industry, but it, it should be knocked. I mean, the way they do it, like, you, well, here, just sell these mutual funds and then sell that and then move on to the next person, you know? Uh, meet with them once in a while and, and, and pat them on the back and make them feel good. I mean, I'll never forget when I first started the industry, the guy goes, yeah, you know, buy them champagne, uh, you know, uh, do nice things for them, uh, meet with them, take them to dinner, but never, ever talk performance. <laughs> I go, what do you mean don't talk? I mean, that's why they're invest. No, 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 no. Don't want to talk about that. Just, just be real nice to them. Don't let them know what the performance is. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, I'll say I moved away from that very, very, very quickly just to make sense to me. But investing is hard. I mean, that that's why for someone to do it themselves, it's very hard because you one, got to take out the emotions and two, you have to do all the research because you have to be confident when you're investing in 15 to 18 different investments to understand them very well and continue, not just the first research, but continue that to understand those businesses. They have news coming out, they have quarterly reports coming out. You gotta spend so much time understanding them. And the thing is, you and I get love doing it, we get very excited about doing it. The average person, they gotta work, they've got family, uh, it's not their full-time job and they don't wanna spend time doing it and that's why many times the investor doesn't do as well. The other hard part is sticking to your strategy oh, because yeah. your strategy is not right all the time. And in fact, we have this chart that we show people that come in and it shows that value investing, which is again what we do, well, it beats the overall stock market. I think it's 84 or 85% of the time over five-year periods. Well, guess what? Over five-year periods, there's 16% of the time that your strategy right. doesn't outperform. Now, does that mean you change the strategy? What do you do now? Do you get into growth stocks? Do you get into bond? I, I mean, people, when you're starting to underperform, it's very hard to stick with it, but we stick to our cooking, so to speak, because we know that long-term, it's the right thing to do. And it's been very hard because over the last five years, mm -hmm. over the last 10 years even, value stocks have not been that exciting. They were good last year, but over the last decade, no, growth's been the place to be. But I still firmly believe over the next decade, just based off statistics, value should have a large outperformance. And, and Chase, there's a new principle that came out, and it's called stocks go up forever, never stop. And I'm talking about Apple. Uh, I'm going to change over a little bit here because Apple hit $3 trillion yeah. uh, this past week. 
and it just keeps going up. And we've looked at their earnings. We've looked at the slowdown, the growth. There is no catalyst that we see. And I actually saw a, a good commentator on uh, CNBC this past week talking about the the, the, the headset uh, thing that, they, that they've come out with. VR, yeah. Yeah, the VR. And they said, that's not going to happen for years because people are not used to having something on their head that weighs, I forget how many ounces it was, he goes, it's abnormal. It's going to take time for people to get used to doing that. It's not like a watch where you put a what you're used to that. We're not used to having something on our head. He said, much longer than 30 minutes. It's not like a head. I guess it's kind of heavy and stuff comparatively. So he goes, it's not going to happen quickly. So all this hype that's coming along, I mean, the higher it goes, I think the further down it's going to come and people are going to be disappointed. Could it go higher? Most definitely. We've said this for quite a while now. But the thing is, I just see it. We stand back like and just shake our heads like this is crazy. It now trades, I think, at 33 times past earnings. Uh, I believe it's 33 times past earnings. Now, if we go out to September 2024, it trades at 30 times those earnings. They're uh, forward earnings? Yeah. 30 times forward earnings? Yeah. You, you know what that also tells me? So it's 33 times past earnings. 30 times forward earnings, usually there's a big difference there. Usually past earnings are like, we'll say 33, forward earnings like maybe 20. They're getting very close. You're not getting much growth for this company at all. So for 2023, earnings are estimated to fall 2%. And then in 2024, earnings are estimated to go up about 9.9%. So over two years, we'll average about 45 yeah we'll, yeah, we'll say that. And you're going to pay 30 times earnings. So I come. Yeah, well, that kind of leads me to the next one, which is a lot of short selling in the market right now. Uh, short selling is when an investor is betting the price of a stock will drop. There's currently about $1 trillion of short interest as those investors speculate the market will turn and head lower. The gain in the market has caused a paper loss for these short sellers of around $120 billion this year. Now, one of two things will happen. The stocks will turn around and drop and the shorts will profit, or the shorts will have to come in and cover themselves by buying the stock, which will put upward pressure on stock prices. Based on valuations, I, I think the short sellers will continue to be patient and, and wait for the drop. Now, the problem is if things stay crazy, unfortunately, this is why we never short. Because right. if things stay crazy, they may be forced to, to cover those shorts, which mm -hmm. could actually send the market a little bit higher. But we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, it, shorting is a very dangerous thing. And, and we have a, a company in our portfolio that there's a decent-sized short position on it. We're very optimistic about that because we still think that things will turn around for them. And all of a sudden, those shorts have to cover. I mean, you could see a big gain on a particular stock, maybe of 23%. Now, to an extreme magnitude, that's what happened with GameStop and AMC is the, right. the shorts had to cover. Now, don't expect that on all companies that are getting shorted, but it is something that, that it really kind of shows how impactful shorts can really send stock prices higher. Yeah, and, and, and these are all things you have to understand when it comes to investing. That's why we share them with our listeners. And these are the other things we put into our newsletter. It goes out every Friday at 5 o'clock. If you want that free newsletter, want to sign up for it, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Just go right to the center of the page. You'll see newsletter. Click on it, sign up for it, and uh, we'll get that uh, free no newsletter out for you. I did want to say one quick thing on Apple. I know we kind of wrapped that up, but I, I was just one thing people point to is the stock buybacks right. and how impactful that's been. It's really helped actually their earnings per share grow because you buy back the stock, then it reduces the shares outstanding. Now there's more net income to be spread around those shares outstanding. But the problem that I think a lot of people don't factor in is as that market cap goes up, now you're buying back less shares because right. you're having to pay more for it. 
I think that'll be a less impactful now to earnings per share because they can't buy back as many shares. So it could be a big problem. And the big question is, should they be buying back yeah. shares? And I've seen this happen on my 40 years of companies that they regret it, you know, two, three, five years down the road. Why were we buying our stock at such high multiples? Because what a waste of money that was. And, and Apple's a great company, but it's a company that again is overpriced. And just think of the tech boom and bust. Think of the nifty 50 in the 70s. I mean, this continues to happen. The problem is we don't know when it's gonna end, but you stick to the fundamentals of investing, you will not get burned. And yeah, you can enjoy the party now, but when the party ends, you leave drunk and you fall down the stairs and you're a lot of pain. Yeah, so I mean, I always tell people Apple could go higher, uh, but you just gotta know. Know the facts, trade yep. at 30 times future earnings. Are you willing to pay 30 times future earnings for over the next two years, potential growth of maybe four to 5% on earnings? I, I'm not. No. So I, I look at the numbers and it just, it doesn't make sense. Yep, yep. All right, uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. That'll get you through for that unbiased, no string attached, formal opinion about what you want to talk about. Again, 833-288-0973. Let's sit down to Chula Vista and speak with Michael. Michael, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. I'm calling about Synchrony Financial, symbol SYF. Okay. And do you hold that or thinking of buying it? I'm thinking about buying it. The numbers look uh, pretty good on the surface. Just wanted to get your thoughts and, and see if you had any concerns with the business. Okay. Well, let's take a look at uh, Synchrony Financial, symbol SYF. Uh, they're in the credit service industry. Uh, about 5.1% float on the short side. Uh, we do see that the earnings came out. Uh, we're starting to see new earnings probably next month or, or so, but uh, right now we're looking at 331 uh, earnings. P.E. ratio very low, 5.9 versus 22.4. Price of sales, 1.3 versus 4.3. Price of book value, 1.5 versus 56. And price of cash flow, 2.2 versus 13.4. So that's very positive. Uh, peg ratio, nothing there, unfortunately. Now, we do see for the past year, earnings per share fell by 16.7%. The industry was down 0.2%. Sales for synchrony climbed by 11%. Uh, not quite as good as the industry, up 129 And they do have a five-year estimated growth rate on the earnings for synchrony from the analysts. Uh, a decline of 3.6%, industry up 147 so that's not a good sign for synchrony there. Uh, they do pay a 2.7% dividend, use 15.8% of their earnings to pay that out. We do see on the balance sheet, now it's a financial company, a little bit different balance sheet, but 1.1 is a debt to equity versus 1.6, that's positive. They do have a nice net profit margin of 22.2 versus 19.7, and return on equity is very attractive, it's 20% but not quite as good as the industry at 43.7. Chase, what do you got? So current price here for Synchrony Financial is $33.92. See the 52-week high is $40.88 and the low $26.59. I go out to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $5.54. I mean, it gives us a target sell price of $91.96. So, I mean, the, the valuations look very, very, I'm gonna say encouraging for this business. One thing you gotta kind of look at a little bit closer is they really only do credit, essentially, is what they do. They're like co-branded credit cards. They do financing for other businesses. You wanna understand a little bit more about who their borrowers are. And also to, if we did have a recession, a company like this would get hit probably pretty dramatically. And, and I will tell you, Michael, this is one we held in our portfolio for years. And, and we probably 
we made, I'm going to guess, maybe 3 to 4% on average with a dividend on this company. And we just kind of looked at it. The way they were doing well, and I think it's still the numbers here, is they sold off, I think it was one of their credit card divisions or it was bought by Capital One or something. They mm -hmm. got a big influx of cash. They used that to buy back stock. So they, they did all these things that are financial engineering. And for some reason, the business model just doesn't seem to work. And we like the, like the concept, but they, they, I think competition is too hard for them because I think Capital One mm -hmm. does a better job than Synchrony does. So I don't know if they do a better job, but I, I think that when you have, like, they, they had Walmart and yeah. uh, Sam's Club. They, they lost to Sam's Club. Sam's Club is what they lost, yeah. And, or they may have lost Walmart. They lost or, Walmart, kept Sam's kept Club. Kept Sam's Club, yeah. yeah. And you come in as Capital One and say, no, I'll, I'll do it for this. I mean, competition's great for the consumer, but it's hard for a business like this, and I don't know how, what the barriers to entry are, and if you're fighting for it on pricing, it is hard to keep those margins as high as they are. I mean, clearly, with their margins as, as high as they are as we covered, Capital One maybe went and said, oh, we'll, we'll do it for 10%, you know? I, and I think the benefit that Capital One has over Synchrony is the uh, notoriety of their credit card. Uh, Synchrony doesn't have that credit card. They had the financing, but Capital One has that credit card. I, I, I believe, and I've not looked at the numbers, uh, Capital One could be the better one. I, I, I just can't, even though the numbers look good on Synchrony Financial, knowing the business as well as we did, I, I can't recommend it for you, Michael. It just doesn't seem to be a good investment for And us. one thing that, that we looked at as well, Michael, is we, we held this thing for, for several years, and it traded at five, six times earnings for years. And sometimes when it just doesn't move, we, we get out of it, and it, it could have been what we call, again, a value trap, where will that ever trade at, at, at a normalized market multiple? Maybe not. I mean, maybe you'll, you'll have these big, all of a sudden, a big slowdown. All of a sudden, now the earnings, yeah. uh, price earnings multiple really accelerates, but the, the stock price doesn't go up. So the numbers look very good, but there's just something that it just doesn't move and it doesn't get that recognition. Yeah, you, you seem to buy it for the dividend, which was okay, but three, I, I think 3%, we'll 3%, call it. yeah. And that's about what we got out of it over about four or five years. I think we held it. And, and it just said, you know what? We can use this money better somewhere, someplace else. So uh, can't recommend it based on a lot of experience with it. So, uh, but uh, you're right. The numbers look good, but I, I can't recommend it. Alrighty. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help and you guys have a great weekend. You too, Michael. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That is open the phone line, 833 288 0973. That's 833-288-0973. With that said, let's talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Now, he's got a topic that uh, today you really want to listen to, uh, estimating your retirement income. This is very important because people, it's probably one of the most scary things like, do I have enough income when I retire? Well, that's why you need a great financial planner like Harrison. Harrison, good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. So this is a very important topic for people. Uh, so I'm going to turn the mic over to you because uh, this is important. Yeah. So um, what I mean by this is regardless of your age, it's always a good idea to understand how much your retirement income is estimated to be. You know, take a look at your Social Security statement. You can find that by going to ssa.gov and you can view your most recent statement. If you have a pension, take a look at how that pension is calculated and what that amount is estimated to be. There's a lot of people that have military pensions or are a part of the CalSTRS or CalPERS systems. 
those are typically calculated as your years of service multiplied by your income multiplied by um, a multiple for your age. Um, so you, know, you can kind of calculate your way into that. If you have a military pension or CalPERS, you also pay into Social Security. But if you're a part of the CalSTRS system, you do not pay into Social Security, which means if you are going to get some type of Social Security benefit from a spouse or something, that could be reduced because of a CalSTRS pension. So you need to understand that. Um, take a look at how much is in your 401k and other retirement accounts. How much are you contributing? How large are those accounts projected to be by the time you retire? How much income will those be able to produce in retirement? Um, should you be contributing more to those accounts or should you be saving somewhere else? All of those are questions you should understand, and many people do not. Um, from what I see, it's common for people to what I call accidentally retire. And what I mean is people you know, will add a little bit to their 401k to get their match, They've got money invested in the default retirement date fund. Maybe they had a friend along the way that started working at an insurance company and for a little while and they got suckered into buying an annuity from them. And then, you know, after 40 years of working, they've accumulated enough where they, they can retire. However, if they had been, you know, more deliberate along the way, they could have, you know, retired much sooner with higher levels of income looking at the types of accounts they were using, how much money is invested, how that money is invested, um, it could have been a lot better. So, you know, people accidentally retire just because of how long they've been working at it, but they could have gotten there a whole lot more efficiently. So retirement is actually not as difficult as it's made out to be, um, and it doesn't take as long as people think it does. A lot of people retire in their 60s, but many could retire in their 50s or younger if they just made more efficient choices along the way. So the goal is to have the option to retire earlier with a higher level of income and pay less taxes on that income. And the way to make that happen starts with understanding how much retirement income you're going to get, and then you can start making adjustments along the way on how to improve that. You know, and Harrison, you bring up some very good points. And when I'm listening to you, I, I, I'm thinking, too, that people now in their 20s and 30s have a very good chance of living to maybe 100 or longer. And what that means is that your working life may be 40 years, but you could be in retirement for 50 years. You've yeah, got to really, crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah, and you really got to do some great investing and some great uh, financial planning to, to have a retirement of 50 years. I mean, that's a long time. <laughs> it's, it's an extremely long time. And, you know, when you look at it, it's like, wow, you, there's people out there that are potentially going to be in retirement longer than they're going to be in their working career. And so you're right. You have to do the right things along the way. And, you know, we're, we're in finance. We do this all day long. So we all, you know, understand this stuff really well. And we, we look at our own situations and everything, but you know, it's, it, it, strange to me that there's so many people out there that don't have a firm understanding of, you know, why they're doing what they're doing, how they're investing, how they're investing, what their retirement is going to look like, what their, you know, financial situation is going to look like. Because to me, I mean, everyone out there is working. When you work, you get paid for that work and you want to use that money as efficiently as possible. But, you know, a lot of times there's, there's mistakes made along the way. And, and that's why, you know, people, people struggle with retirement. And, and it's so important that, uh, and again, I look at the calendar and I see like, wow, 
Harrison has a lot of appointments. I mean, you, you see a lot of people now, um, and people are realizing that you're really, and again, I'm going to say this, you're the best financial planner I know in San Diego because the other ones are trying to sell annuities or life insurance or trying to do something. You're the one that actually listens to people and actually does a true financial plan for them. That's why we give the one-hour free consultation because, and people are just like amazed, like, wow, my guy's not doing that. Harrison does a lot more. Yeah, I mean, the way that I look at it is a lot of the issues that people have cannot be solved solved by buying some type of product. Um, it, it's making the right choices with the money that they do have and allocating in the right places and doing the right things. That adds a lot more value, and that's really what financial planning is supposed to be. Yeah. So, well, Harrison, uh, great information as always. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you on Wednesday because uh, we've got a <laughs> long weekend here. So uh, are you in Arizona? Is that where you I'm in Flagstaff right now. My sister lives in Flagstaff, so I'm visiting my sister here at Flagstaff. All right. Well, thanks for calling on that long weekend, and uh, have a good time, and uh, we'll see you on Wednesday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Wednesday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, as Harrison Johnson, I, I really challenge you, encourage you to uh, do a free consultation with him. I'm, I'm telling you, you will be surprised at the stuff that he comes up with that you're, you've never even thought about. Uh, it is a free consultation, but you got to set it up. Uh, give him a call at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Send him an email uh, for that free consultation. I, I, I think you'll really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Yeah, so. no, it's uh, definitely very beneficial. A lot of people that work with them really enjoy it. Yep, and they say, wow, my guy never thought of that. Or, you know, people say he comes up with ideas, not like I have to give him ideas, like he comes up with these things. And 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 the reason he does that, he's, a, he's very quiet. He's a very good listener. But then when he listens, then he, and he's got his whiteboard, they put stuff on his stuff and he's like, wow, he, he just thinks, he, he's as good on, an, on financial planning as we are investing. He spends his time thinking about financial planning. And that's the thing too, is that why, that's why we'll say asset management, I think is the best firm in San Diego or many places beyond that, because you and I spend all our time focused on investing and he spends all his time focusing on financial planning. You really get the best of everything. Yeah, no, so. it, it's true. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 0973. Uh, all lines are open, so give us a call. You get right on through 833-288-0973. And if you don't like to call in, you can always send an email. Like I have one coming up here. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, smartinvesting2000.com. Just uh, send us an email. I guess probably the best way to do it is by con where it says contact. Probably just send us an email right there. Probably. Contact us or you send myself an email at chase at willcassetmanagement.com. That's how I got those two. Uh, we actually have two email requests, I guess. So Yeah, yeah. So, so let me get to this one here from Joe here. Uh, I've seen uh, foot traffic pick up at our local Home Depot after seeing pretty empty for a while. Uh, any chance you happen to like the stock HD? Uh, thanks, Joe. So let, let's take a look at... Uh, a Home Depot, and I've not been to Home Depot lately. Have you been to one lately, Chase? No, my my wife went actually. She uh, painted some walls in the house, so uh, she went to go get some paint there. But um, I have not been to Home Depot lately. So, so she won the argument of painting the walls. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've not been to one lately. I mean, I, I drive by there uh, and, and I see it look, looks normal. But let's look at the numbers here because I've not looked at it recently. 
Home Depot does have a symbol of HD. Uh, only 1% float. Uh, P.E. ratio, not looking too bad now. 18.9 versus 19.8. Price of sales, 2 versus 1.7. Now, this is surprising to me. They don't have a price of tangible book value, but even their price to book value is five over 500 versus 67.3. And I, I'm wondering if it has to do with a rentals or something that they have. Why that price to book value is so outrageous. I'm just amazed by that. Price of cash flow is a 19.3 versus 18.4. Peg ratio going forward, 10.7. That's not that good, but it is better than the industry at 15.8. Now, earnings per share over the last year are up 4.2%. We do see sales climb by 2.1%. The industry is up 0.4%. They have a five-year estimated growth on their earnings of 1.9% for Home Depot, not as good as the industry at 3.1. They pay a 2.7% dividend, use 47%. They're to pay that out. That's pretty good. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, current ratio 1.3, same as the industry. Wow, debt to equity 136.5 versus 83.4. Don't like seeing that. Uh, net profit margin 10.8 versus 8.3. Uh, return equity, now this is a strange number, 4,626 versus a negative 349 for the industry. Tells me their equity is probably very low. So there's some strange numbers going on here with uh, Home Depot. I'm going to let you look at the, 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 the going forward here, and I'm going to look at some other numbers while you're doing that. Yeah, sure thing. So current price for Home Depot, $310.64. The 52-week high, well, that's $347.25. And the 52-week low, well, that's $265.61. Now, if I go out to January 2025, they report on a fiscal basis, their estimated earnings per share is $15.89. It would actually give us a target sell price of $263.77. So it's below that current price, again, of $310. They traded a forward PE of about 20 times. I mean, Home Depot, I, I think they really ran up quite nicely during the kind of COVID boom. But now trading at 20 times earnings, I, I see this year earnings are estimated to fall 10%. The next year, they're only estimated to go up 6%. So they're not even going to get back to the peak that they saw in January 2023 for that fiscal year. So I just, I can't justify paying 20 times earnings for a company that, that had peak earnings last year. Yeah. And, and what was the current price of the stock? I was looking at 310. the 310. Wow. And that has come down quite a bit, I believe. Uh, year to date, they are flat, and as I said, the 50-week high was close to 350. 350. Okay, so they're they're down about 10, 15 percent. Uh, what I wanted to look at was a balance sheet, uh, and, and just to see, and I, I can't tell you what's wrong with it, but I can tell you their equity is only 362 million. Now you go back to January 2021, it was 3.3 billion. So I believe what's happening is their liabilities are, well, the liabilities are up there at 76 billion. Uh, January, 2021, they were 67 billion. So are they taking on more debt? Uh, are you, you seeing something there, Chase? I mean, I'm trying to look at this quickly here. No, I just know they, they bought back a lot of stock. So when you buy back stock, it incre decreases your equity because you're using cash go. to buy back the stocks. So and now you lose that cash on the balance sheet. You don't have an offset necessarily. So by nature, it's gonna reduce your book value. Uh, of the overall company, but when I look at it, I mean their their shares have decreased quite quite substantially. I'm going to say over the last uh, several years. I mean they they've still been buying back stock even, but it looks like it's decelerating. And we talked about this. I think it was last week with Lowe's. Is they really implemented these big stock buybacks? What that does is it creates demand for your stock, sends the stock price higher in theory. Right. Well, now if they stop those stock buybacks or even reduce those stock buybacks, is there going to be enough market interest to keep that stock price growing? 
and that comes back to 20 times earnings, I, I wouldn't be buying the stock at these levels. And uh, just looking at uh, their cash real quick, uh, they did have uh, back in January 2021 about $8 billion in cash. Uh, that's now $1.2 billion. So they're running out of cash to do that. Uh, just real quick on the cash flow here. I'm just going to see if we can see if the cash flow is positive or not. Uh, it is positive, about $5.6 billion. Um, so they have positive cash flow. But it, I, I just... And we love stock buybacks, but I like when they do it, when they get the the stock on sale. I do not like stock buybacks when they do it just to make their stock, you know. Uh, well, just to use capital. Just use capital. It's like, no, you should be doing something else with that money. And, and I'm, I, I think this is going to be a problem from them down the road, uh, buying back this stock, them and Lowe's, because both of them, you know, they look pretty good now, but you dig deep in the numbers and things going forward, unless we have a major boom, which again, I think the economy is gonna do well as we talked about, but I just don't see a major boom. And again, you're building on some very high numbers already. So just having a flat, you know, for, for the home improvement industry, that's not gonna help them. I, I don't like either stock, but the interesting thing is Lowe's still trades at like 15 times earnings, future earnings versus Home Depot at 20. And Lowe's is actually growing more because it, it appears they've taken more market share from Home Depot and uh, the kind of the, what, the the professional side of the business is what they call it, the pros. So I'm kind of surprised that that Lowe's is is actually trading on a lower multiple than Home Depot, right. which actually concerns me more from for Home Depot that it's it, it's pricey. I mean, even right. compared to its largest competitor. Right, and I do like going into Lowe's because they give me that 10% uh, veteran discount, so uh, Home Depot won't do that. Well, I heard they do it, but you have to have like your card or something with you. Oh, yeah, well. Because I remember somebody's like, no, Home Depot offers it. Oh, that's right, it. you're right, I got no. yelled at, right, right, stop, stop saying that. But uh, yeah, yeah, Lowe's, they just look it up like, yeah, we can see you. your service was uh, June 1974. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh man. Yeah. I, I people just, are doing the math right now. On they're that. like, oh, he's pretty old. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we just had a call. All of a sudden, he was gone. Ah, ah, shoot. Well, maybe I'll come back. Our phone number is here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. And as always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Let's look at another uh, email we got here. This one's pretty quick. Uh, let's see. Uh, what do you think about Walgreens? Could you run the numbers, please? Uh, closing stores, seven percent dividend. If numbers are good, so yeah, let's take a. Did he give us a, the? Oh, he didn't give us a symbol here. WBA. WBA. All right, you looked it up while we were talking. Good. All right, Walgreens, and I, I don't know why this. Uh, it used to be Walgreens. Now it's Walgreens Boots Alliance. I believe that that's a European company. I think is Boots or, or something. There, there is another uh, company that I, I believe they merged with. Okay, yeah, that probably came from a merger, but um, let's take a look at it. I'm just gonna call it Walgreens, uh, symbol WBA. Isn't that the Women's Basketball Association too? WBA? WNBA. And WNBA, okay. Um, the uh, Walgreens in the pharmaceutical retailer industry, about 4.3% uh, float. Uh, no PE ratio. Uh, industry has no PE ratio, so I'm surprised on that. Uh, price to sales, 0.2 versus 0.3. Price to book value, 1.2 versus 1.9 and neither the company nor the industry have a price of tangible book value, which means you take away all the intangible assets. There's no value. Could be because of they did buy this other company. 
perhaps a lot of goodwill on the balance sheet, something there. Uh, price of cash flow, 18.8 versus 20.7. Uh, over the past year, no earnings growth for the company or the industry. Sales are up 1.2%. Industry down 15.3. That's the first pause I've seen for Walgreens so far. Uh, Five-year estimated growth rate, not very good. A negative 2.4 versus a negative 0.8. They do pay a 6.7% dividend, but the problem is they have no earnings to pay that out. So they either have to ball that, take it from the cash. We could see, and again, I don't don't know enough about the company yet, but it could see where they have to cut that dividend because if you don't can't afford it, you should cut it. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 0.6 versus 1.5. That's a little on the low side, shows lack of liquidity. And on the debt to equity on the high side, 1.7 versus 0.8. So those are two bad numbers on the financial strength of the company. Don't like seeing that. Net profit margin, a negative 2.4 versus a negative 1.4. Uh, think about what that means. For every dollar they sell, they lose 2.4 cents. Return on equity, a negative 15.7. Return on invested capital, a negative 4.8. A lot of negatives here. What do you got going forward, Chase? I was just going to say real quick on the, the dividend side as well. I mean, that scares me that that's equity is 170% because what could happen is they could have to use capital to now pay off debt. Yeah. That could mean it's like, oh, we got to cut our dividend because... <laughs> We can't go bankrupt, so we got to pay off the debt instead. Right. So that is something, especially in higher interest rates. Now you refinance the debt even, perhaps. So now your interest payments go up. That's less cash flow. So that could be a problem for the security of that dividend, something I would keep an eye on. Looking at the current price, though, for, again, Walgreens Boots Alliance, I did look it up. Boots is in the U.K., so ah. I believe there's similar stores just uh, in the U.K. But 52-week uh, high is $42.29. The low is $28.14. Year-to-date, I see, is down 21.6%. I go to August 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.11. I mean, it gives us a target sell price of $68.23. Trades at a forward P.E. of about 7 But uh, there's a lot to this business that I think maybe it trades at seven times future earnings for a reason. I, I, I don't know if I feel secure in the, the company. I know CVS has had problems with their stores, but they have Aetna, the health yeah. insurer, to kind of help offset some of that. So I don't know if Walgreens Boots Alliance has something else to maybe kind of carry them through this difficult time period. I, I'd really want to look closer at the business because seven times earnings multi sounds great. But uh, as I said, it could be for a reason, especially with the balance sheet that doesn't look that strong. And I, I think I think about a year or so ago, we looked at buying CVS or Walgreens, and not, I think we liked CVS better than Walgreens. And glad we didn't do it. I, I think Walgreens has gotten worse as opposed to better with a, with this uh, merger that they did. Uh, and I do see that 90 days ago, the estimate for the earnings were 480, so they are going down. Uh, too much debt with this company, not enough liquidity. Uh, you could see more problems with this company uh and i think it's very competitive and and, and i think you're right because with um cvs they have uh etna, etna which you got people coming in in, in the cvs and i think we yeah i go to cvs and and it's a pretty cool thing they have uh not been to walgreens lately but i don't think they have anything like that well cvs has the minute clinics minute and then Clinic. etna, etna is the health insurer that, that right you know they they do health insurance plans for companies i mean they, they have a different type of business there but i mean because i look at walgreens i see that earnings are estimated to fall by 20 percent this year wow i mean that, that's a pretty big decline so i mean that's one reason the valuation so low is you don't want a business in decline i, I want to know why earnings are estimated to fall 20 percent right yeah so 
Uh, sorry there. Uh, who's in that? Johnny. 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 Sorry, Johnny. Uh, yeah, not liking Walgreens there. So, all right. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. Let's go back down to Chula Vista and speak with Chief. Chief, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, fellas. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to uh, to catch your take on uh, on Lumen stock. Uh, interesting that, and I know we hate when people take on more debt, but interesting that they've paid off some massive debt recently uh, within the last year or so, and uh, they still have a well, what seems to be a good amount of debt. They've cut their dividend uh, in order to pay that, which is generally a red flag. But they're they're pushing forward with quantum fiber, which is essentially just kind of like the fastest internet anyone's seen and they're moving into into uh what seems to be kind of the uh, rocky mountain region with that but um looking forward is that and and they've dropped you know crazy probably 80 percent uh in the past year but uh, moving forward is this something to kind of keep an eye on or do you think buy it while it's at a supreme discount well let, let's take a look at some numbers here and see what uh, we got here company again is a uh, lumen Technology symbol L U M N. They are in the telecom services industry. Big float here on the short side, fifteen point eight percent. So that means people are expecting to go lower. Uh, we do see no PE ratio versus twenty point seven for the industry. Uh, price to sales very low, point one versus one point two. Price of book value point two versus one point six. But there's no price to tangible book value which is more concerning to me. Uh, price of cash flow, 0.6 versus 4.7. Uh, those numbers almost look too good. Uh, when you look at the earnings per share growth over the last year, there's nothing there. Industry was down 7.2. Sales, 13% decline versus a 4.6 decline for the industry. Five-year estimated growth, even with this technology you're talking about, you'd think that would be better. Analysts say no, they see the earnings declining by 23.6% over the next five years. Industry up 8.9. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Uh, look at the balance sheet. Current ratio 1.1 versus 0.9. Debt to equity 1.8 versus 1.9. That's very important when you find a company that you're looking at the future growth of some technology or drug or something. They've got to be around to, to, to get the benefits of it or else they could go bankrupt and somebody else will buy that technology. Uh, concerned about the debt to equity of a 1.8. Net profit margin, a negative 9.9% versus a positive 6.5 for the industry. And return to equity, a negative 14.9 versus a positive 9.1 for the industry. Chase, what do you got? I was going to say, I'm still concerned that the debt to equity is 1.8 and they've paid off a lot of debt. Most of the yeah. time you pay off a lot of debt, you're going to have a, a clear balance sheet. So they could still have more room to go, which again, takes capital to pay off, pay off that debt level. Now, looking at the current price for, again, Lumen Technologies, it's L-U-M-N, $2.26, 52-week highs of $11.38. Wow, that's a large decline there. 52-week lows $1.74. Year-to-date stocks down 56.7%. And as you said, Chief, one-year return, you're very close at down 80%. It's down 78.8%, so very close to that 80% mark. I go out to December 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of $0.18. Cents. It would give us a target sell price of $2.99. They trade at around 12.3 times the, the future earnings there. So, I mean, that looks okay, but this is very concerning. I see 2023, they're estimated to make $0.38. Cents. That's a decline of 75%. As I said, 2024, $0.18. Cents. That's another 52% decline from the $0.38. Cents. I mean, this is a big, big problem to have earnings falling off a cliff at such a high rate. 
I, I, I would want to know, well, what is going to turn this around? Because it just it's not looking promising here from an earnings perspective. And, you know, I, and I just took a quick uh, peek at the uh, balance sheet. I am shocked to see that they do have uh, equity of $11 billion. Now, that is down from years ago, and it's about $15 billion. Uh, but their debt, uh, their long-term debt is about $20 billion. Uh, that was a high in 2021 at $27 billion. And actually, 2019, $32 billion. So they're, they're paying debt off from very high levels, but still $19 billion in debt when you've got equity of about $11 billion or $20 billion in debt. Uh, not a good number I like to hear. So yes, they're paying down debt. They've got a long way to go. Uh, not sure if they can make it. They may have to file bankruptcy prior to that because their cash was not that, they didn't have that much cash, not much liquidity. So yeah, I, I just... This could be a, a, a big home run, but the risk is very, very high there, Chief. Okay, I appreciate it. It sounds like, uh, you know, hearing those numbers out loud sounds like uh, maybe run away, run away fast. Yeah, I would think so. Yes, yeah, all, and also all the shorts on there as well, they're thinking it's going to go down. So I, I think this is uh, one you probably want to run away from. All righty? Okay, I appreciate it, fellas. Okay, Chief, thanks for Have calling. Have a good weekend. Okay, bye-bye. All right, uh, gosh, we got uh, only got like two minutes left. I... I, I was going to go to John and, and Teresana, but I, I don't think... Uh, yeah, I'd say call back probably next week. I, I want to yeah. make sure, because Regions Financial Corp, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time on, on financial companies, so I, I want to make sure we give it a, a fair analysis rather than kind of going through it quickly there. Yeah, because I we, we like to spend the good time on that, especially when you find something, I'd, we want to kind of analyze it as quickly as we can for you, but but not kind of cut you off and that, you know, through the numbers and get nothing out of it. Uh, I do want to mention about the consumer continues to spend money on services in the month of May. The current dollar personal consumption expenditures increased $18.9 billion compared to the previous month. This came as spending on services surged $52.52 uh, uh, with customers still spending money in areas like travel and food services. Now, what that means is there was a $33.1 billion decrease in spending on goods. But a lot of this came from energy products, like gasoline weighing heavily on the report. So you got to understand where that's coming from, because we know gas prices fell quite substantially. That's going to have a big impact on the amount of goods in terms of dollars. I actually think that's positive, because now people can, instead of spending that on gas, they can spend it elsewhere in the economy. Now, overall, the consumer is still willing and able to spend money, which, again, it bodes well for the economy. We've talked about this a lot. People yep. are still spending money, even though, oh, consumer confidence isn't great for the next six months. We've been saying that now for a year, that consumer confidence isn't great for the next six months, and people keep spending, mm -hmm. and that six-month period keeps expiring. And I don't know I know we came up with the information. I don't know if we did the post on it yet, which would be in the newsletter, uh, about the baby boomers having, I think it's about $77 trillion, and that the baby boomers are saying... Yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to spend a little bit. Did we did put that newsletter yet? I don't have that post. You don't have that? Did I not write that for you? I don't think you did. Huh? We'll give it up. We'll, we'll find it up. <laughs> All right. There's a closing bell. So thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for an informational person only. It should not be should not be used on investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546. 546-4306 and be sure to visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com and for more daily information go to our website get that information get the newsletter you'll you'll be glad you did thanks for listening we'll be back uh, next week right here on the smart investing show to think that I
it all back. 